Aloha, I'm Travis, and this is the Wise Lab Podcast. Of what number this newly discovered archipelago consists must be left for future investigation. We saw five of them, whose names, as given by the natives, are Oahu, Kauai, Niihau, Lihau, and Koala. I named the whole group the Sandwich Islands, in honor of the Earl of Sandwich. Before we get into our introduction quote I just read, I wanted to quickly highlight the first word I used in today's episode, aloha. If you regularly listen to the show, then you know that I usually start my episodes with the greeting, hi. As today's episode is all about the Hawaiian Islands, I thought I would keep my greeting in theme of the episode, and so use the familiar Hawaiian greeting. In English, we think of aloha as just a simple greeting and a simple parting, but according to Lauren Andrews, an early American missionary to Hawaii, aloha is more of a concept and define the word as follows. A word expressing different feelings, love, affection, gratitude, kindness, pity, compassion, grief, the modern, common, salutation at meeting, parting. Saying aloha then has a cultural meaning and is a concept with a similar word in all Polynesian languages. Even beyond that, on the Hawaiian Islands, there is something known as the aloha spirit, which dictates a spiritual connection between the people, the land, and everything on the islands. It is thought that this type of attitude was inspired by being so isolated from any other population center and having to rely on each other to survive. That is one of the reasons that Hawaii always seems so inviting. The other reason that it seems so inviting, as you might imagine, is all the sun and the beautiful beaches. Over the past couple weeks, my home has been hit by some freezing rain, blizzards, and rather constant sub-zero temperatures. I'm personally someone who has summer ranked as his favorite season, and my family usually teases me that I am a freeze baby, so in the months of cold, I like to google pictures of tropical paradises and stare longingly at the beautiful water and perfect sandy beaches, and just picture that I'm there. This year I thought I would put that hobby to good use for a change by studying one of the islands and creating an episode. Something that has long fascinated me is learning the meaning behind place names and exploring the origin and history that go with them. That is why this week we are going to be asking why the Hawaiian Islands have the place names of Hawaii, Niihau, Kauai, Oahu, Molokai, Lanai, Kahoalui, and Maui. And before we get too far into it, I did Google the pronunciation of all of these Hawaiian words, but I am not exactly a linguist, and I absolutely am going to mispronounce some of the words. So, apologies ahead of time. Our introductory quote came from Captain James Cook's posthumously published book, A Voyage of the Pacific Ocean, Volume 2, which debuted in 1784. We have briefly mentioned Captain Cook in our episode about the continents for his role in the naming of Australia. In addition to exploring the eastern coastline of Australia, Cook was known for his extensive travel throughout the entire Pacific Ocean. He was responsible for initiating contact between Europe and the Pacific Islands for the first time. The opening quote describes Cook's first impression of the islands that we know and love today as the Hawaiian Islands. As alluded to in the quote, Cook named those islands the Sandwich Islands, and it was with this name that the islands were first drawn onto his map. John Montague, 
the fourth Earl of Sandwich, was the first Lord of the Admiralty and was the main benefactor of Cook's expedition. During the Age of Exploration, it was common practice to name prominent discoveries for the person footing the bill, and these islands seemed like they would have a special place in history and therefore be worth naming for such a prominent figure. The Sandwich Islands became the prominent means for referring to the islands for foreigners from 1784, but the locals never budged from using their native place names. In the 1840s, these native place names started to take precedence, and today are the only means for referring to the Hawaiian Islands. However, we should not feel too badly for Lord Montague. He may have lost his island legacy, but his knack for ordering his servants to bring him meat shoved between two slices of bread has secured the sandwich legacy for all eternity. Legend goes that Sandwich would often be too busy to take the time to eat a normal meal, so he had the innovative thought for his more portable meal. As the other nobles saw it, they asked their servants to bring them what Sandwich was having, and thus the Sandwich was born. But enough about Sandwich, let's get back to paradise. Perhaps my favorite thing to study about different cultures is their traditional creation story. Hawaiian, Polynesian, and Maori traditions are all closely related. The names and small details are sometimes slightly different, but that is to be expected in a thousand-plus-year-old oral tradition. We will use the most accepted version of the Hawaiian creation story to start our exploration. In the beginning, all that existed was an endless dark chaos. The dark chaos was known as Po. Deep inside of Po, a consciousness slowly came to the realization that he was a separate entity. Through great strength of will, this consciousness pulled himself free. This being was the first to exist outside of the dark chaos and was named Kane. Kane's example inspired two additional consciousnesses to form and then pull free from Poe. The three consciousnesses then teamed up to banish Poe and create all the aspects of the world. In order to create mankind, the gods gathered clay from the four corners of the world and shaped it into a lesser form of Kane. He breathed life into the clay, and thus mankind was born. This man was created on the Polynesian homeland of Kihiki, which is an ancient name for the island of Tahiti. Throughout the Pacific Ocean, the gods also created the islands that the descendants of this man would one day discover and colonize. Archaeological and DNA evidence partially backs up this creation story. Not the dark chaos and separating gods part, but the common shared ancestry part. Tahiti, though, was not the original origin point. Instead, they go back much further. The Polynesian people are descendants of a group of sea-migrating people known as the Austronesians. Austronesian is more accurately described as a language family of which Hawaiian is a modern-day descendant. The pre-Austronesians are thought to have migrated from mainland China to Taiwan somewhere around 10,000 to 4,000 BCE, then from 3,000 to 1,500 BCE, the population of this group expanded and the language was born slash developed distinctly from those that existed prior. This population explosion also had the effect of necessitating an expansion of territory and going back to mainland China was just not an option, so it was out into the ocean for the Austronesians. The Philippines were first and from there a sea migrating culture was firmly established. Dates are still a subject of debate, but the traditional theory is that the people originally settled on these first uninhabited islands in Oceania and founded Polynesia somewhere around the year 1000 BCE. Polynesians from there became voyagers, exploring the ocean and slowly colonizing a huge triangle in the Pacific Ocean. 
the early settlements happened along the southern part of Polynesia and would eventually come to envelop a sort of triangle in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, with Hawaii to the north, New Zealand to the west, and Rapa Nui to the east constituting its corners, with Tahiti in the center, and then Samoa is also important in placing the line in the west between New Zealand and Hawaii. Before the Polynesians could discover Hawaii, the islands of course needed to be created. Tradition holds that the islands were created by the goddess Haumea. Haumea is best known as the goddess of fertility and childbirth, but more importantly for the creation of the islands was her role as a fire deity who controlled things like lava and volcanoes. The Hawaiian islands are a giant underground mountain range, and the islands that we see today are the tips of that mountain. The islands were formed and shaped by the eruption of the volcanoes. Haumea is said to have created those volcanoes that eventually become Hawaii. Haumea's powers of fertility helped to create several more deities, and the only one born of the natural way was the goddess Pele. Pele's powers were primarily inherited from her mother in the form of the ability to control fire, lava, and volcanoes in general. Pele was born on the homeland island of Tahiti, but over time was forced from the island of her ancestors and fled to the north aboard a custom-built canoe. She sailed off and found an undeveloped, uninhabited mass of volcanoes sticking up out of the ocean. She landed and shaped the five surrounding volcanoes into one big island that would come to be known as the island of Hawaii. After arriving on Hawaii, she would actually be chased down and killed by her sister. When a goddess dies, she only loses her physical body, so her spirit retreated into a crater on the volcano Kalawia. Ever since then, she has resided inside the volcano and has become a kind of patron deity of the island of Hawaii, even to the point that Pele is still worshipped by local Hawaiians to this day. From that point forward, she shaped the islands and would make them livable to humans in time. A more internationally famous tradition holds that a cultural hero named Maui was responsible for pulling the islands of Hawaii to the surface with his legendary magic fishhook. Sometimes deemed a trickster god or demigod, scholars generally place Maui more into the category of folklore as his stories were told and retold by generations, but few actually worshipped him. It is still unclear from the oral tradition whether the story of Maui pulling the islands up and thereby creating the Hawaiian islands or the story of Pele was the older tradition, or which was more readily believed to be factual. It is also possible that they were complementary tales, that is to say that Maui pulled the islands to the surface, and then Pele landed on the islands and used her power of flame to shape them into the eight main Hawaiian islands. Either way, these are the two most popular traditions for how Hawaii was created by the original Hawaiians. For hundreds or thousands of years old creation tales, these stories of Hawaii's creation actually are not that far from the truth. The Hawaiian island chain, or archipelago, was developed when the Pacific plate moved over a hot spot. The movement of the plate was in a northwesterly direction at a rate of 51 kilometers per million years. As this movement occurred, it created the mountain range as the magma from the hot spot was forced up and created each one of the islands one by one. The movement has made it so the oldest islands lay to the northwest, which is why those islands are the smallest as they have largely eroded since first appearing 28 million years ago. Due to this erosion, some are not even classified as islands and are instead classified as atolls. The youngest and largest of all the Hawaiian islands is the island of Hawaii. 
sometimes nicknamed as the Big Island due to its size and an effort to distinguish it from the state. This island first appeared only about 400,000 years ago and today remains the only island whose volcanoes are still active, although that discounts the still submerged island of Lo'aihi. The most active of Hawaii's volcanoes is Pele's supposed home of Kilauea. Kilauea is the fifth and youngest of the five shield islands that form the island of Hawaii. It is only 250,000 years old total and is thought to have emerged from the water some 100,000 years ago. It famously has erupted near continuously since 1983 and made headlines last year when it destroyed the resort Hawaii vacation land. Its name comes from the Hawaiian word that means spewing or much spreading in honor of the volcano's near constant spewing lava. Hawaii's five shield volcanoes erupted so near one another that over time they formed together into one island that today accounts for nearly 63% of Hawaii's landmass. But as three of those volcanoes are still considered active, it only boasts about 13% of the state's population. To provide some context, the island of Hawaii is the largest single island in the United States and third largest of the Polynesian islands. The only larger ones are the North and South Islands of New Zealand. Whether you want to say that the Hawaiian islands were raised by Maui and shaped by Pele, or raised by the Pacific Plate and Hotspot and then shaped over a million years of exploding volcanoes, one thing that is without doubt is that by the year 300 this archipelago was ready for discovery and human habitation. The early history of Hawaii from the first settlement to the exploration by Cook that introduced the two cultures to one another is a bit difficult to know with certainty. This is partially due to the fact that the native Hawaiians did not develop a system of writing. This means that right up to the time of Cook's arrival, the Hawaiians lived in what we term a prehistoric civilization that relied on oral tradition to chart their history rather than written records. Oral tradition is great and can teach us a lot about what cultures were like and held dear, but is also notoriously inaccurate as a form of record. It is one of the reasons why the likes of Romulus and Ramus are deemed legends, and Homer is not viewed as an accurate depiction of the Trojan War. These traditions contain remarkably useful information, but can also change over time. Archaeology is starting to become more common in Hawaii, and scholars are starting to find artifacts that are greatly deepening our knowledge of pre-contact Hawaiian life, but it is hard to verify oral tradition with artifacts alone. Oral tradition also suffers as it is only as good as the combined team of speaker, listener, and translator. As you listen to the creation story I presented earlier, you might have noticed how it sounded somewhat similar to the Christian tradition found in the Bible. Is this because ancient Hawaiians actually believed this, or is it an interpretation of the Christian missionaries who originally recorded the creation story? We just do not know. There is a very wide date range given for when the first settlement on Hawaii occurred. It could be as early as the year 124 CE, but a later date is generally more accepted. Professor Patrick V. Kirch has firmly established himself as one of the foremost experts on Polynesian history and culture. He is a professor in the anthropology program at the University of California, Berkeley. His books are generally considered the standard textbooks for Polynesian and Hawaiian study. His books usually provide a range from 300 to 600 CE for when Hawaii was discovered and colonized by Polynesians from the Marquesas Islands. More recent theories based on finds of radiocarbon dating place the date of discovery closer to the year 1000. 
the Moana Kia Ads Quarry is one of the many important archaeological sites that are giving us new insights into the early history of Hawaii. This quarry was used by Hawaiians to obtain basalt and make various stone tools. Radiocarbon dating indicates that the quarry was in use by the year 1000, with more intensive use after 1400. This would seem to indicate a later initial settlement of Hawaii than those presented by Professor Kirch, but we do not yet have enough information to disprove his 300 to 600 theory. Whenever it happened, we know that the first settlers were from the Polynesian Marquesas Islands. Early European theories for the discovery of Hawaii and its Pacific Island neighbors was that it occurred by accident. Shipwrecked sailors washed up on the island and then had no choice except to start a new life on these new islands. This theory was based on a belief that there was no way that the Polynesians could have possibly been advanced enough to colonize a region as vast and spread apart as Polynesia. This theory has since been debunked. It is true that some islands may have been discovered by accident, but the actual settlement and colonization shows a highly developed plan. This has been proven by careful study of the boats used by early Polynesians and tests aboard these canoes built only using contemporary technology, methods, and navigation theories have stood the test of the open ocean. This, along with study of proposed settlement sites and patterns, prove that a well-laid plan was made for the settlements of all the far-flung islands of Polynesia, partially proven by the fact that women, children, and provisions all appear to have been part of the early settlements this suggests a careful planning ahead of time. The discovery of Hawaii is one steeped in legend. The first recording of the most common legend comes from Thomas George Thrum's The Hawaiian Annual and Almanac, which provided articles and statistics about all things Hawaii. The first edition was published in 1875 and was published annually for at least 51 years, as each of them are available online at the E. Vols website. Some believe it is an authentic rendition of Hawaiian tradition, others believe it is a later creation, while still others believe it is somewhere in between. The discovery of the island of Hawaii started as a voyage of exploration much like any other. A boat left Marquesas Islands and journeyed north. Some versions say that the boat was blown off course, and others say it was purposely seeking new terrain. Either way, the crew came across a previously undiscovered island. The captain of the ship was a man named Hawaii Loa and when he looked around the island for the first time, he realized it was the perfect location on which to build a new life. He journeyed back home to his wife and children, then gathered a group and set off to colonize the island. Hawaii Loa became the first chief of the new island, and in his honor, it was named after him. That is how the Big Island of Hawaii got its name. As mentioned, the first appearance of this story in writing was not until Thomas George Thrum's version in the late 19th century. This could be due simply to the oral history tradition of the Hawaiians we already discussed, or it could be a partial creation and a partial corruption by Thrum and his associates. A more recent explanation for the name of the island comes from three of the foremost experts on place names in Hawaii, Mary Kawena Puke, Samuel H. Albert, and Esther T. Mokini. In 1976, this trio published Place Names of Hawaii, and many consider this book to be the gold standard for the etymology of Hawaiian place names. In it, the option that they present for Hawaii is that it comes from the Polynesian word hawiki. The word hawiki is a cognate in all of the Polynesian languages. Christina Thompson, in an article in The American Scholar, describes the word in the following way. The land of the hawiki is an otherworldly place, sometimes in the east, sometimes in the west. 
sometimes in the sky or underwater. It is a land and a source of life, a place of plenty, a paradise, but it is also a place of death and separation, and those who pass over to Hawiki are lost to this world. As Hawaii was the first island to be colonized of the archipelago, it could make sense to name it after this homeland tradition that Thompson describes. So this is a possible alternate theory for the etymology. One thing that is nice about the Hawaii Loa story is that it ties into the name of three other islands. As you recall, Hawaii Loa settled the island with his wife and children. Once the children were grown, they each followed in their father's footsteps by taking a group and founding settlements on the three neighboring islands. In a similar vein to Hawaii, the three islands were named after their founders and first chiefs. The eldest son went to the second largest island, and his name was Maui. Hawaii Loa's daughter moved to the third largest island, and her name was Oahu. Hawaii Loa's youngest son was named Kauai, and he founded the fourth largest island. If there was no Hawaii Loa tradition, that means that this tradition for Maui, Oahu, and Kauai was also not in existence. Whether or not the story of Hawaii Loa is true, it is still possible that these islands might have been named for early chiefs or other early prominent members of the island. Place names of Hawaii does provide alternate options for each of these three islands. In the Hawaii Loa story, his son Maui is named after the cultural hero Maui, so indirectly the island was named for the god Maui. In place names, there is no indirectly, as they advise that the island is named directly for Maui. The island Oahu is nicknamed the Gathering Place, and some believe it is the literal translation of the name, but that has since been proven to be inaccurate. Instead, Oahu either has no direct translation, or the meaning has been lost. The poetic names of Oahu hint that the island may have been named after an ancient chief, or the child of the gods Papa and Luau. Kauai is a little bit harder to pinpoint. The closest possible translations of the name could be place around the neck, or food season, although the reasons why these translations became the island name is unclear. One thing that makes it difficult to pinpoint is that the original natives of Kauai used to speak a distinct dialect of the Hawaiian language. The dialect has since died out on Kauai, but remains alive and well on Niihau. The old Pan-Polynesian dialect pronounced the K sound as a T. This means that originally the name for Kauai would have been closer to Taui. As I mentioned, the Hawaiians called the Polynesian homeland Kahiki, and it was this same dialect change that resulted in Tahiti becoming Kahiki. So Kauai, or the old Tahawi, may designate one of those translations, place around the neck or food season, or it could be the name of Hawaii Loa's son and founder of the island, or it could be the name of a lost early and influential chief. As we continue to explore the other four of the main Hawaiian islands, we will find that we have even less of an idea for how those got their names than we do for the first four. One potential reason the naming convention could be lost has to do with the history of the islands after first discovery. The first settlement came from the Marquesas Islands. These settlers founded the islands, but a few hundred years later, a second wave of settlers came to the island, and this time from Tahiti. The new Tahitians came in, subjugated the old Marquesas Islanders, and established a new ruling hierarchy. It is unknown exactly when this second migration occurred, but general consensus seems to be somewhere around the year 1200. 
It was shortly after this second migration that the Polynesians lost or abandoned their former seafaring technology and know-how. This resulted in nearly 500 years of isolation for the Hawaiian Islands. The new ruling class could have kept the established place names of the islands, but not cared enough about the cultural traditions of the lower classes to actually maintain knowledge of their meaning. The fifth largest island of Hawaii is the island of Molokai. Today, each of the Hawaiian islands have English nicknames that sound very nice, but really have no earlier history or meaning in the islands. Molokai is known as the Friendly Isle. But this custom seems more about attracting visitors and describing the modern people than providing any hint of the place name. In addition to its plain place name and its English nickname, each island also has a poetic name. It is unclear how old the poetic names are, but adding poetic epithets to names is a common occurrence in oral history, so it does seem like it is a very old tradition. The most common poetic name is Molokaihi Nue Ahina. This translates to Great Molokaihe, Child of Hina. Hina was an important goddess throughout Polynesia and is perhaps best known as the deity who brought coconuts to Tahiti. On Hawaii, Hina is a little more difficult to explain. Hina is either a common name amongst different goddesses in Hawaiian tradition, or multiple traditions exist for Hina, or Hina has the ability to shapeshift and appears in multiple bodies throughout the long history of a mythic past. No matter which of those options it is, it does seem that she was an important goddess to the island of Molokaihe. The naming of an island could indicate that the island itself is the child of Hina, that the island was named for the child as a way to honor them both, that the child of Hina founded the island similar to how the other islands received their names, or that an early chief of the island claimed divine descent from the goddess, and in the generations that followed, the island was named for him. In the hundreds of years between the second migration from Tahiti and the Captain Cook expedition, the island shared a culture and language, but the ruling elite was largely independent on each inhabited island. The island of Lanai is said to be a little bit unique amongst the islands. This island was said to have been haunted by Aqua Eno, which are a sort of evil spirit. Aqua means god and Eno means evil. This superstition led to the island being avoided by ancient Hawaiians, except in cases where they would banish troublemakers. A prince of the island of Maui was particularly rambunctious, and after several failed attempts at reform, the chief of Maui felt he had no choice except to banish his son to Lanao. The prince was named Koala Au, and after a few nights was able to successfully banish the spirits from the land. This legend resulted in the island historically being named Lanai o Kalalawe. It translates approximately to Day of the Conquest of Kualawai. Lanai by itself means Day of Conquest, and the evidence does back up that the settlements of Lanai originated from Maui and Molokaihe. Whether or not you believe the evil spirit story, it does seem probable that a prince from Maui led the first settlements and that the island was named for him. The island of Niahau's etymology is entirely unknown. The island's nickname, though, is the Forbidden Isle. In 1864, Elizabeth Sinclair purchased Niahau from the Kingdom of Hawaii for $10,000. This started a period of private ownership of the entire island that still exists to this day, with the island in the hands of Sinclair's descendants, the Robinson family. The island today has a population of around 170 people, all either descendants of Sinclair or native Hawaiians. 
This allows the island to retain their native traditions without outside interference. It is called the Forbidden Isle because the only way to gain admittance to the island is to be invited by a native of the island. Kaho Alawe is the smallest of the eight main Hawaiian islands and the only one that is not populated. Around the year 1000, the Polynesians who settled the islands also set up a settlement on Kaho Alawe, but the lack of fresh water combined with the slow erosion made sustained settlements nearly impossible. If it were not for the large stone quarry, the Hawaiians likely would have outright abandoned the island, but even with it, the belief is that the island never rose above approximately 200 inhabitants at any one time. It is unknown exactly where the name originated, although the approximate literal translation is the carrying away. In this case, as if carried away by ocean currents. This could reference the erosion of the island or that the fresh water on it was carried away by the ocean salt water currents. Or it could even be a reference to the island's role as a penal colony as people were carried away to Kahualawe, never to be seen again. We do know that Kahualawe was not always the name of the island. It is unclear exactly when it changed, but the island used to be known as Kahi Mala Mala Lama, which literally translates to Right Vagina. It is also unclear where this name originated. One interesting piece of information about Kahualawe is that the English nickname is Target Island. In World War II, after the attack on Pearl Harbor, the United States Pacific Theater of War was very different from any in which the U.S. or her allies had ever participated. As a result, they needed a way to train in these new tactics. Kahualawe was uninhabited, and being right next to a prominent U.S. Navy base, it seemed like the perfect place to train. The United States military used the island as a training ground and as target practice for their bombs and missiles. This target practice and training continued for decades after World War II and eventually started to spark local protests. In 1990, the U.S. military stopped its training drills and in 1994, possession of the island was passed from the military to the state of Hawaii. Years of cleanup followed. It is still not fully safe to venture to Kahoalawe, but if careful, people can. The island is currently reserved for only cultural and traditional use of the island by Hawaiian locals. Four years after James Cook's initial visit to the Hawaiian Islands, the king of the island of Hawaii died, and this set off a monastic struggle between his son and his nephew. The nephew would win the struggle and become sole ruler of the island. He is known to history as King Kamehameha the Great. Once King Kamehameha had solidified his rule on the big island of Hawaii, he set his eyes on the remainder of the inhabited Hawaiian islands. After a series of battles, he swept through the islands like a great King Kamehameha wave and established a hegemony over each of the islands. In 1795, he established the Kingdom of Hawaii with complete control over the islands of Hawaii, Oahu, Maui, Malokahe, and Lanai. In 1810, the final two inhabited islands joined when Kauai and Niihau voluntarily joined the kingdom. The descendants of King Kamehameha I established the kingdom in the international community. It is largely the legacy of the kingdom that the islands were able to reclaim their more native name and banish the Sandwich Islands to the dustbin of history. Okay, that does it for today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Why Is That Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show as it is available on all major podcast apps, including Acast, Podcast Republic, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and wherever else podcasts are streamed. The website and contact information are all in the episode description. Until next time, cheers.